Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, along with Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Going to talk some college hoops here for the next few minutes. Also, terrific guest coming up, Dana O'Neill, Hall of Fame writer for The Athletic. Chris, what's going on? Man, just uh, watching the Big Ten beat up on each other in recent games, but I've really fixated on Ohio State. Um, we're actually writing an update about the Buckeyes in our Blue Ribbon Report newsletter this week. But it, it's amazing the job that Chris Holtman has done. They lost four starters, a couple of guys transferred. Uh, they brought in some transfers, but a couple of those have been hurt. And he's just been able to weave together a good group of players, not a fantastic group of players like five-star guys. But, yeah. you know, he's proven that he really doesn't need to do that. And they're fun to watch. I watched them win at Maryland last night, and uh, their guards are just – really can take over games. So uh, right now they're they're the fourth number one seed uh, in the opinion of all the experts, including our boy Joey Brackets. Yeah, I've seen Ohio State play a few times too. I watched them beat uh, Michigan State a couple weeks ago. But, the, Chris, that whole league is crazy. They have seven ranked teams. Michigan's been shut down for a couple weeks. Ohio State, as you mentioned, could be a number one seed. To me, Illinois looks like a team that could go to the Final Four. They have a lot of good pieces. Iowa has the best player. Indiana just swept Iowa. Rutgers is under the radar good. You have some teams on down the way that are pretty good. I mean, we could go on and on about that league. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I think that that part of it is just the, the, the fact that, yeah, they recruit well, uh, but I don't think that they've had to be overly reliant on five-star talent up and down the roster uh, in the Big Ten. And, and I think they've it's enabled them to to, to get old and stay old. Yeah. So Iowa is, is is one of the more experienced teams in the country. Uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, Ohio State, Chris Holtman can really really coach. And you know Rutgers was up there for a while, and um, now they're back out of the top twenty five, I think. And but top to bottom, and, and you know Michigan got to 13 and one before they got shut down by COVID. And uh, it's amazing the job they've done post John Beeline. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible league. Of course, as you know, I'm, I'm from the Midwest and basketball is just so appreciated and understood there. I'll never forget when uh, Rick Barnes got the job at Tennessee, a couple of his assistants told me that the biggest change that, that they saw when they moved from the Big 12 to, to SEC country was how much that the, the players they formerly recruited were just basketball-only guys right. that had higher basketball IQs. And then they got to the Deep South where basketball might be the, the third-best sport of a player uh, who, who played football or, or track or baseball. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Big Big Ten country, it, it's no surprise – uh, you know, those they they eat, sleep, live it, mm-hmm. and uh, the the teams, the players they recruit. We we haven't even, we've gone this far and haven't even talked about Wisconsin and Minnesota and how deep the the, the talent is up there, uh, high school talent. So yeah, it's just an unbelievable league. As far as the, the South goes and the SEC, it was a wild Saturday going back a couple of days. Missouri held off Alabama after Mizzou was ahead by 20 with six minutes left. Tide had a chance to win at the end. It looked like Herb Jones might have got fouled on that, that layup attempt. 
Yeah, and Ole Miss later on in the day winning a thriller at Auburn on a buzzer beater by Devontae Shuler after Sharif Cooper hit a three to tie it uh, toward the end of OT. And then Tennessee's uh, outstanding freshman, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, they put up 50 points combined in a, an 11-point win at Kentucky. Tennessee was behind for part of the game, but it felt like once the Vols took the lead that they were going to get to the finish line. They've now won three out of four in Lexington. So uh, a crazy day in that conference as well, which, you know, it, it may, might be a little more top-heavy than, than the Big Ten is, but you look on down the way, to me, a lot of those teams in the SEC are pretty even. Yeah, I, I think, too, that – there are some teams in the SEC that, that have a deep NCAA run in them. Uh, do they have one capable of winning at all? I'm not sure. Uh, certainly, Tennessee. a lot of people thought Tennessee was that team early on. Uh, the Vols have had their offensive struggles, but I was texting with Rick Barnes a couple of days ago, and he said he's been trying the whole year to get his guys to play downhill and just attack the rim. And, they proved the other night in Lexington that that works. Yeah. And they've got the personnel to do it and they don't have to rely on, on hoisting up threes. And so, um, Tennessee is certainly a team. Alabama, we talk about every show. It seems like, uh, they did lose, but, uh, that's a team that, that can scare people. I, th- I think Missouri is built, uh, much like Conzo Martin's last team when he was at Tennessee, uh, is a team built to, uh, to get to a sweet 16 or maybe beyond. So it's a solid league uh, in its own right. The, the Big Ten is just off the charts this year, so there's really no comparison. This week's AP poll doesn't include Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, or UCLA. In fact, it, I saw the stat and I looked it up. It doesn't have any of the teams that are in the top 13 in all-time wins. Purdue is 14th in all-time wins. The Boilers are ranked 24th. Uh, actually, my alma mater, Western Kentucky, is 15th all-time, but Kansas is out of the poll for the first time in, say, a dozen years. So uh, j- just an illustration of how strange of a season it's been. Gonzaga's number one. They continue to steamroll through this season. They're 19-0 and after beating BYU last night, 82-71 in Provo. BYU's a pretty good team, but it was the early knockout punch, Chris. I mean, that game was over by the first media break. It was 15-2, to and then I think at the under-16 timeout, it was 15-4. to BYU got it back within single figures a couple times, but uh, Gonzaga pushed it back out to 20 points in the second half. So, man, that team, hey, there's there's no sign of, of stopping anytime soon for uh, Mark Fuse group. Yeah, by the time I got done with the Ohio State-Maryland game and switched over, uh, <laughs> BYU was down like 15. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the thing about Gonzaga that's so impressive is that they're as good offensively as they are defensively. Uh, they're number two in the nation in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency and number six in defensive efficiency. But what I'm really impressed with, they lead the nation in effective field goal percentage and two point percentage. They're, but they're making 64% of their twos. Really, they're pretty far down the list in, in three point percentage. So they're not overly relying on that. I say pretty far. They're, they're 113th in the country shooting about 35%. But, you know, they know where, where their bread is buttered. They get high percentage baskets. Uh, and they're, you know, I, I think some people might have uh, said, well, maybe their defense might not be championship caliber. I, I beg to differ. I, I think it is. Yeah, they got 19 turnovers in that game against BYU. Uh, here a little closer to home, Chris. You, you talk about teams that either score at the rim or shoot threes. We've talked about this for years. Belmont is absolutely rolling. They have a 17-game win streak. They're 20 and 1 and 14 and 0 in the OVC. 
Some big tests coming up this week. They'll play Eastern Kentucky and Moorhead State, uh, two of the best teams in the league this week at home, and then they'll play the return games up there to finish up the season. But, you know, the torch was passed from Rick Bird to Casey Alexander a couple of years ago, and the program just keeps on rolling with the just a, a lot of good parts, including Grayson Murphy, who's the best point guard in the OVC, Nick Musinski, who's the best big guy in that league, and then they, they filled, you know, the, the scoring that was left by Adam Kunkel when he transferred, and they've done that nicely with a, a couple young players. And, uh, man, Casey just has that team on a roll. They have played great this season. Uh, a couple of things that, that really stand out. One, they were the first team to 20 wins, right? Uh-huh. And two, the fact that they got 20 games in. It's uh, I, I think they've been as unaffected by the pandemic, at least in terms of squeezing games in, as maybe anybody. But here's the big deal. You know, we talked about uh, – Gonzaga and how well they shoot it. Number one in the country in effective field goal percentage and two point percentage. Well, guess who number two is Belmont. Yeah. Uh, in both, they they shoot sixty two percent and they make sixty two percent of their twos. So, you know that philosophy uh, has carried over. Like you said, they they try to get to the rim and score. Uh, obviously, they've got Nick Musinski who can post, but their guards drive it to the rim, and they're exceptional shooting the three and. They're better at that than Gonzaga is, uh, 37%. That's 46 in the country. So, yeah, they when they lost Adam Kunkel, I, I know they were disappointed. Uh, Casey Alexander told me he thought they had a, a Sweet 16 team on their hands with him. But Luke Smith, the transfer from D3, Sewanee, has come in and, and really helped, uh, you know, fill in his offense. And they've had a couple of other unheralded guys step up, haven't they? Yeah, Ben Shepard, who – had a nice freshman year, but has taken a big step from freshman to sophomore year. Uh, he's moved into the starting lineup. has been really good. Uh, the freshman, Jacoby Wood, who looks like, I said the first time I saw him, he looked like 1,500 points waiting to happen. Uh, he, he's having a really nice first season. And Caleb Hollander, who to me is always sort of an X factor, uh, he, he's battled some health issues over the course of his career, but he's been healthy and you know, kind of a big body who can shoot and, and is, is a tough cover. Uh, he's having a good season, too. So, uh, really good year going on over at the the Curb Center for Casey Alexander's team. But again, they'll have some big tasks coming up. They they play Eastern Kentucky and Moorhead. They have four games left against those two teams, so we'll see how they go. But they they won a couple close ones on the road at Austin P and Murray State uh, here in the last couple weeks, and just just really having a good season. And, and as you said, the, the first team to twenty wins. Chris, uh, before we have our guest join us, uh, what's new in the uh, Blue Ribbon Report this week? Well, like I said earlier, we're we've started a series of. Uh, of stories on updates uh, of certain teams that are trending and, and how uh, they fare relative to what we picked in the book. Uh, we've been fairly consistent, but I think you would have to say that of the three teams that we've updated so far, last week we did Oklahoma and Houston, and this week we're doing Ohio State, uh, we probably undervalued them a little bit. We're also uh, having another Back to the feature. Yeah. This one's on Marcus Haynes. Okay. Uh, he of Globetrotter fame who played at Langston University. And uh, in the course of our research, I, I found out something pretty cool about Marcus Haynes. Uh, they were playing uh, Southern University in, in a conference tournament game. And, and Southern had run up the score on, on Sam Houston College, coached by none other than, than a young Jackie Robinson. Huh the game before. So Marcus Haynes put on a two-minute dribbling display to run out the clock. His coach didn't like it, but the <laughs> fans did. 
And, uh, of course, that led to his long career with the Globetrotters. So uh, we thought this was a Black History Month. We thought it would be a great time to, to dust off a, a player who's maybe more known for uh, beating the Washington Generals, but actually had a college basketball career and, and was super talented. One of the great things about working with Chris is we always get great guests for our podcast, and that is the case today. Dana O'Neill joins us, Hall of Fame college basketball writer for The Athletic. Dana, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. Thank you. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> uh, Dana, it, I was um, pleased to see that not only you, but your 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 longtime buddy, Pat Forty, uh, got in the U.S. Uh, basketball Writers Hall of Fame. So congrats on that. Does that make you look back and reflect? <laughs> yeah, I mean, thank you for, for that, first of all. Um, it makes me look back and think, oh, my God, am I that old? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, when Seth Davis called me to tell me, I was like, man, eh, that, that can't possibly be the case. Like, that's the Dick Girardi and, like, real writers, not me. Um, but, yeah, I am um, I'm flattered. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of hit me all of a sudden. Like, I've been doing this a long time, I guess. That's kind of cool. You know, when you say real writers, uh, she um, she definitely being too hard on herself. I actually teach uh, a sports writing class, and I use a lot of her work to show how uh, how good reporting can help make a great story. And Dana's one of the best reporters. That story you wrote on Penny Hardaway when, when he was still at Memphis East was, was still one of the best college basketball stories I've ever written, uh, read. Thank you. That was, that was a, that was a fun one. Yeah. I mean, that was like, you know, it's one of those, you go to Memphis with one idea and another one unfolds and you follow where the reporting takes you. And that's, I think that seems to be the most important lesson I try to teach other journalists or young journalists that is, is you can go in with a preconceived idea, but you have to be open-minded to go where the reporting leads you as well. Danny, when you look at this season, an undefeated national champion to me has seemed virtually impossible for a lot of years, but how do you like Gonzaga's chances of getting it done? You know what? I mean, they end or Baylor, right? Uh, that yeah. seems to be the choices. And uh, and certainly, yeah, I mean, the only place I got to go this year was to Gonzaga. I went back in October to watch practice uh, with them. And, and in October practice, I thought, oh, my gosh, they look so good. You know, so – they're just so uh, crisp offensively and um, they're selfless. You know, there's so many guys and so many weapons on that team that can beat you. I know, you know, they're not known for the defense, but their defense isn't horrible and it, it, it can do the job. So, man, I, I certainly like their chances to head into March undefeated, of course. And I think it's going to take a really special team to beat them. I really do. And I think, I think the one that maybe could match up with them is Baylor. I really don't think it gets complicated this season. It is such a strange year. I never thought you'd see a poll with no Duke or Carolina or Kentucky or Kansas or UCLA, but here we are. Do you see a common thread in those traditional power programs that are struggling this year? I do. Um, I think right now, you know, if you look at their numbers, you know, Ken Pomeroy does a great stat on uh, experience of a lineup and, and, all of those teams have wildly young rosters. I think Duke is rated 343rd. Uh, so they're all, you know, all those programs have gone heavy on one and done. And now that turnover churn, I think, has caught up with them this year, especially when you, know, you couldn't have preseason practices and you're having stops and starts. And sometimes you're practicing with four guys and five guys. And that chemistry and continuity of a roster, I think, is really difficult if you don't have experience. Dana, how do you think the NCAA's decision to make everybody essentially 
give everybody a free pass this year with players coming back and and then if they open up the transfer rule what's that what's the landscape going to be like next season it is going to be messy i mean i don't know how many players will take advantage of the the extra year like seniors and such who are you know maybe some come back i'll be curious you know i think guys are ready to move on move on but uh, yeah, I think the the off season uh, roster turnover is going to be complicated. Obviously, if you get your extra year, you can't transfer with that. You have to kind of use it at your school, so there's some stability there. But the one time transfer freedom, coupled with you know all of this, if I'm a high school senior right now, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm committing to this program, but where in the world do I fit? Like, do I even know where I fit? Um, coaches are going to have their hands full trying to, to manage their rosters. I'm worried about how I'm going to put Blue Ribbon together because who knows how deep into the summer roster configurations can go. It was hard enough for me this year, you know, not knowing what COVID would would bring. But, wow, I mean, it, it's going to be I, – I guess some of the power conferences are going to be able to carry 15. Is that what you understand? Yeah, I think they can because the guys who are returning um, don't count, or the seniors that return don't count against your roster limit. So there is some wiggle room there. So yeah, it, yeah, you're right. And and I don't know how long it will take to get settled. Look, I mean, all of this, of course, we got to even look into when does the NBA draft deadline? You know, we saw how long that extended this year. What when does that happen? So what seniors don't have to, or juniors or sophomores or freshmen, whoever don't have to make those decisions until later. That it, it just is it, one thing rolls into the next. It's going to be very complicated. Our guest is Hall of Fame college basketball writer for the Athletic, Dana O'Neill. Uh, do you think we'll see a full 68 team field for the NCAA tournament? And do you think with that event being an in Indy, it could set the stage for the Final Four to be there on a more permanent basis down the road? Um, to the second question, no, I don't think they're going to get away from the rotation if they if they don't have to. Look, I think they like bringing it around the country. I think you know next year is New Orleans, yeah. and I think after that, I believe it's Houston. I, I, you know, Indy is great a great setup, and they built Lucas Oil with the idea of hosting basketball, which always makes it good. But I don't think they'll give up on rotating it. But do I think we're going to have a sixty-eight team uh, NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think the NCAA has been pretty hellbent on pulling this thing off for a number of reasons, not the least of which are financial. So, um, you know, I think that that's part of it. What, what about the conference tournaments? Do you think some of those will or, or won't happen in the power leagues? You know, I'm not sure about the power. I'll be more curious, frankly, about the smaller leagues. Like right. If you are a team that's got an, a, a team, like you know, you with an obvious automatic qualifier, why are you bringing them and paying for, more importantly, to bring five, six, seven, eight teams to campuses or wherever – and put them up when when you can just dub your automatic qualifier into the NCAA tournament. For the power leagues, you're going to see teams that are be like, wait a minute, we need to play. We're on the bubble. We need to have this tournament, and they can afford to host them and do things, I think, more easily. But um, I'll be curious. Like I think a lot of schools are going to have individual decisions on their hands. We spoke about Gonzaga earlier. Your Mark Few, why in the world are you playing in the West Coast Conference tournament in Las Vegas? There's just absolutely zero reason to do that. Dana, thank you so much for the time. Uh, really enjoyed visiting with you, and I hope we can catch up with you again down the road. And, and again, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Dana. That was Dana O'Neill, Hall of Fame college basketball writer for The Athletic, and really appreciate her time joining us here on our Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. 
Chris, a sad story to talk about. Uh, condolences on the passing of Texas Rio Grande Valley coach Lou Hill. He died at age 55 back on Sunday. Not really a lot of details yet on the cause of his death, but had been there for five years. He was an assistant with Lon Kruger uh, and, and went to a Final Four at Oklahoma. He played for Eddie Fogler back in the day at Wichita State, but the second division one coach to die recently after UT Martin's Anthony Stewart passed away back in November. Really sad story involving Lou Hill. It really is. He's one of the more respected coaches uh, in the country. I, I remember seeing a, a, a tweet by, by Chris Beard from Texas Tech uh, saying how much he respected Coach Hill and and Coach Hill had always had respect for him no matter what logo was on his shirt. So, uh, yeah, I know Coach Hill had had COVID. So this has just been such a crazy year in all respects. But to have two Division One head coaches pass away uh, in the same season, I, I don't even remember one having right. passed away during the course of a season, let alone two. It's just a nightmare. Really has been a crazy season, and uh, we'll see what's in store this week. Chris, always great to do the podcast with you. Enjoy it every week, man. Thanks, buddy. Take care. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll do it next time. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.